Let me pray, and then uh, let's dive into to the Word. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this Friday night that we get to open your Word and to learn uh, together. Uh, may it encourage our hearts, may it convict us, may it help um, to make us more uh, like Christ. Uh, so I pray that your Word uh, would do its work in, our, in each and every life uh, that here. Uh, that hears it, um, that we would live in light of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before we get to our text, I want to have a little bit of some interaction with you guys. And that's also why I wanted you guys to come a little closer. So I want to test your knowledge. I want to test, and so I actually want your feedback. So I want you to, to actually answer and, and help me. So I'm going to test your knowledge of common idioms, or the, these are sayings, or you could say they're modern proverbs. So this is kind of, you could just shout it out. But what I want you to do is, I want to say the first part of a phrase, of a common phrase that you probably know, and I want you to finish it. Just yell it out and finish it. <laughs> and then there'll be bonus, uh, bonus points. Uh, I'll keep points in my head. Uh, there'll be bonus points for you if you know what it means. If you don't, then maybe we can ask someone else. So if you shout it out, and then you can shout out what it, what, what it, or I'll ask what it means, and you can shout that out too. Okay, so let's, let's get started. Our first phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Now, what does that one mean? Like father, like son, right? A child often resembles their parents both in looks and behavior, okay? So here's another one. All that glitters is not gold. Despite what Smash Mouth says, all that glitters is not gold. Does anyone know who Smash Mouth is in this room? Okay, I'm kind of like dating myself, but... All that glitters is not gold. What does that mean? Anyone? No one? Okay, so it basically means that not everything that appears valuable is valuable. Okay, here's another one. This one you, you should get. A picture is worth a thousand words. Who said 2,000 words? I heard I think it was Joshua. Okay, a picture is worth a thousand words. What does that mean? In general, anyone? What does that one mean? Picture is worth a thousand words. Yeah, pictures can often have more uh, description. They can convey meanings beyond description sometimes. Okay, here's the last one. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Yes, I heard it from, uh, maybe you all pieced it together, but it was teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And so what does that one mean? What'd you say? Fishing is very valuable? Everyone should fish. Everyone should fish. That's Corey's understanding of that idiom is that everyone should be a fisherman. Yes. What, is it, what does it mean in general to the non-fisherman? What does that one mean? Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. What does that mean? 
Huh? Learning a skill. It's better to teach someone to do a skill and to do something to provide for themselves rather than just give them something that will only last for that day. Okay? So, it's that last modern proverb. It's that teach a man to fish proverb that I want to focus on tonight. As we approach Mark 6, Jesus is giving his disciples some hands-on experience learning how to fish. So let's turn our Bibles to Mark 6, verses 7 to 13. And we'll see Jesus giving his disciples some hands-on experience about learning how to fish. So Mark 6, chapter, Mark 6, verse 7, reads this. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if there is any place... And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Okay, so Jesus has been preparing his disciples. He's been doing so for for a little over a year now. And he's been walking life with them. And he's shown them his power, and they have heard his message. At this point in the disciples' life, they should know what Jesus is all about. But of course, we know that they still don't really get it. They still don't really completely understand what Jesus is all about. But they've seen it. They've experienced it. They've walked life with him. They have seen him do things like turn water into wine. They've seen him do things like casting out demons. They've seen him do things like heal the terminally ill or calm storms. But not only that, not only have the miracles have they, have they seen, not only that, they have heard what Jesus has been talking about. They've heard his message that Jesus calls sinners to repentance, to have faith like the centurion. They've heard the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They've heard Jesus give parables, and then they've heard Jesus explain these parables to them. And most recently in Mark 6, verse 1 to 6, they've seen that Jesus has been rejected in his hometown. So for a while now, they've seen Jesus. They've walked life with him. And for a while now, Jesus has been teaching them how to fish. Remember, in Mark 1, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus has been spending all this time turning them into fishers of men. In other words, teaching them how to preach the gospel. They've been sitting in Jesus' classroom learning the fundamentals of being a follower of God. 
They've been taking a clinic on how to enter the kingdom of God and how to invite others in as well. They've sat in on a master class of how to call sinners to repentance. And now Jesus is telling them, it's time for your residency. It's now time to take all that you have learned and to practice it with some hands-on learning. So Jesus now sends them on a short-term missions trip. And Jesus will send them on this mission trip with four aspects of his authority. Jesus sends them on this mission trip with four aspects of his authority. First, they are sent with his power. Then, secondly, they are sent with his provision. And third, they are sent with his blessing. And then fourthly, they are sent with his message. So let me repeat that. And I'll give you the verses as well. First, they're sent with his power. We see that in, verses, in verse 7 and verse 13. Then they're sent with his provision, which is verses 8 to 10. And then he, they're sent with his blessing in verse 11. And then they're sent with his message in verse 12. So let's look at the first aspect of his authority. Sent with his power. They are sent with his power. Verse 7. This is what it reads. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them the authority over the unclean spirits. So Jesus sends them out two by two. So there are six teams of two people each. Why two people? Why teams of two? Well, first, this was commonplace in the ancient Near East. When you sent people out on a mission, you sent them in pairs. Pairs were good. They were, they were good for safety, and there's reasons behind that. They could watch each other's back. But pairs were also good because they can encourage one another when they were on the road. They could even admonish each other if they needed it. As one mentor said to me, no Christian is meant to be an island. God made his people in community. We, we aren't meant to be off by ourselves. We need friendship, companion. We need companionship. We need community with others. This is true of all people in general, but especially it's true for Christians. This is why Jesus left the church. This is why Jesus created and instituted the church. Because yes, Christianity, there is a personal aspect of Christianity where it is you between you and God. At the same time, Christians aren't meant to be isolated from one another. We need to be able to encourage each other when we need it. We need to be able to correct each other when we need it. We need accountability to each other. This is why Pastor Roger is spending a whole sermon series on something called the one another's. Because we need each other. And that's important to the Christian life. And so it was for the disciples. Because they might get discouraged on the road. Things may happen. Or they may need to be corrected. So that we need each other to have those pairs together. They couldn't just send them out in teams of one and go. They're teams of two to encourage one another. Another reason to be set in pairs is for the credibility of the message. In the ancient Near East, any testimony needed two or three witnesses. So here, when two enter a town and they preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, people may actually believe them. Because they see these two people, and these two people are bearing witness to Jesus' message. 
So two or three. So they have two people here telling a message. It actually becomes something that is at least something that could have some credibility. So I'll note that on this prototype short-term missions trip, it first goes to the Jewish towns. The gospel was first going to be announced to the Jewish people here in Galilee. And later, Jesus will send 72 disciples out to other places, and that will include some Gentile places. But for now, they're to focus on the the nearby area, the nearby Jewish towns. And so they're sent out in twos, and they're sent out with Jesus' power. Jesus gives them the power over unclean spirits. Jesus gives them the power over demons. In verse 13, we see that they exercise his power. In verse 13, uh, uh, Mark writes, And they they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they cast out many demons and, and they healed the sick. Jesus gave them this supernatural power. Why? Well, Jesus sends them with his supernatural power because he wants to demonstrate that their message is his message. Jesus sends these disciples as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So they are sent with the power of the kingdom of God behind them, with the authority of the kingdom of God behind them. Think about the United States. If if we send an official ambassador to Russia to negotiate peace and Russia killed that ambassador, that would be an act of war. And I would think that the full weight and power of the United States would then be activated. That if you're going to kill our ambassador, we will respond That one person bears the power of the United States and their message must be treated with respect. That person must be treated with respect because they are representing the entire United States and its power. On the flip side, if a normal U.S. citizen goes to Russia, they don't have that power. They're just a tourist, or they're just on a work visa. So the U.S. didn't grant them the full power and the representation. So Russia doesn't need to respect them as much because they don't have the power of the United States behind them. Now, I know this isn't a perfect illustration, but in general, do you understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. When a person is sent as an ambassador, that person is sent with that kingdom's authority behind them. Their their message must be heard, and it must be respected. And so it is with these disciples. Jesus sends them with his authority, with the kingdom of God's power, in order to demonstrate to their hearers that this is a message that you need to listen to. That this message comes with the authority and the power of God himself. The message of the disciples with the power over demons, the power over sickness, that is, that shows that this is a message that they must listen to. Jesus gave the disciples this power so that people would actually stop and listen. 
the miracles meant to get people's attention. And the casting out demons and healing the sick, these were not the ends. That wasn't why they were sent out. It was merely the means. Jesus did not give them this power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Those are both good things. But Jesus did not send them out in order to merely do mercy ministry. He gave them that power to make people listen. It would wake them up to consider the message. This was a unique time in the the history of Israel. The news and message of Jesus was only starting to grow. For some, this may be the first time they're hearing about this man named Jesus. They want to know what he's about. And then they get to see the full power of the people, of the people he sent, his disciples, the authority of the kingdom of God behind him. At this point, they didn't have the full testimony of the, the New Testament. It wasn't all written. It, wasn't all, it, wasn't, it hadn't come to pass yet. And so it was at this time that there was actually a lot of people cropping up in, in Israel, in the ancient Near East, that were actually claiming to be Messiah. We hear about that in Acts 5. There were a lot of just random people saying, oh, I'm the Messiah. There was a lot of false, uh, false, false proclamations. But what was different was this claim, this person named Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, this came with God's power. The messengers of Jesus came with the power over demons. The followers of Jesus came with the power to heal sicknesses. Now, before you ask me whether or not Christians today need to do miracles in order to build our credibility, let me point out that first, this is a narrative, which means that it is descriptive of what happened, not prescriptive of what we must do. So there's a difference. So we look to this passage not for exactly everything that we have to do, but merely as what happened in history. And so, and we know that with the rest of the New Testament, after the New Testament was written, after it was completed, after it was distributed, our credibility as Christians is founded in God's word. Our credibility is in God's power, but not in the power to heal and the power to do miracles, but in the power of God that shows up in our changed life and our changed character that makes us different from the world. This is why when you hear someone come to faith and their life changes dramatically, that's the power of God at work. And that's why people notice, you used to be this guy. Why are you different? What happened? I've known you for years. You're acting different now in a good way. What's going on? That's the power of God to change hearts. And so, yes, we do have the power of God that lends itself to our credibility. But that's when we live godly lives that look so different in the world that they have nothing other to ask but what is going on with you in a good way. And so we have the word of God. That is our credibility as Christians. So let's, let's not take the application point that I'm asking you to go out and do miracles so that people believe in Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. This is a narrative. But... We, I do ask you to go out and live, we'll get there, and to live godly lives so you demonstrate the power of God. We'll get there. But here, 
They are sent out. These disciples are sent out with his power, with Jesus' power. And secondly, they are sent out with his provision. We see that in verses 8 to 10. Let's read verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journeys except a staff, no bread, no bag, no monies in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics, or not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. This is the second aspect of Jesus' authority. Jesus sends them with the absolute bare minimum. Jesus sends them with only the basic provisions to go on a journey. It's a walking stick and some sandals. They aren't to bring food. They're not to bring a backpack. They're not to bring money. They're not even to bring extra layers for the cold. They're simply told to go with basically nothing and watch God provide every step of the way. They were called to literally walk by faith so that they could see how God would provide for their needs. Because if they had an elaborate plan and they packed everything they needed, they may be tempted to say that their mission was a success because of their own abilities. But if they go with basically nothing and are provided for, only God can get the glory. If I plan a short-term missions trip to a foreign land and I book my flights well, I plan my layovers well, if I send my equipment ahead of time so it gets there, and I have food provisions sent ahead of time so we make sure everything, every meal is accounted for, if I exchange all the right currency, if I, if I plan my train tickets and have them ready, if I have all the hotel arrangements made, if I bring all the right materials in all the right quantities, the temptation will be for me to say this short-term missions trip was a success because of my great planning. That is the temptation when we build our own ministries every single day. For me, that could be when I do day camp. For you, that could be when you serve a CBM camp. For, for others, it could be short-term mission trips. It could be any ministry that we're a part of, that when we get planned well, we think we get the credit. That's the temptation. The temptation is to say that everything went well because of me. Now, Mark is not telling us this is how all ministries should function. That, just have faith, don't plan anything. That's not what Mark is saying, because I'm going to remind you we're in a narrative this is descriptive of what happened, not prescriptive of what we must do. So we know that in other places of the Bible, if you were to open your, book, your Bible to other places, that there is the call for wisdom, that wisdom plans ahead. Uh, but it, what Mark is saying, that if we want to draw out the principle, is that this is a shift in your perspective. That you can make plans. Sure, make plans when you do ministry. Sure, when you do a short-term mission trip, try to plan well. When you do day camp, try to plan well. When you go to CBM camp, plan well. But God is the one who directs our steps. We need to have this dependency on God no matter how well we plan. That's the principles that we can draw out from this text. 
this is not instruction on how to do ministry or how to live your life. It's not the idea of just let go and let God. No, that's not the principle. The principle is a reminder that these disciples are sent with his provision. And that while the principle we can draw is that while we can plan wisely and God calls us to do that, it is ultimately God who provides. And that must be our perspective. That's a shift in perspective even when God provides in mundane ways. It's a shift in your perspective because God could be providing for you. Now, let's let's take a step back from ministry, but just your life. God could be providing for you in your regular paycheck. That's something that we take for granted, something that we assume, but that is how God is providing for you. Do you shift, have you shifted your, your perspective to think of it that way? That it's not, this is, I earned that. I did that. I got my education. I got that paycheck. But that this paycheck is God providing for me. This is his provision. It's a shift in, yes, you plan well. Yes, you work hard. But it's a shift in your mentality, in your perspective, that this is, yes, mundane. I get it, weekend or month to month or, or every two weeks. But it's God providing. It's God providing for me. This is provision from God, and that I am thankful for, and that I recognize that I plan well, but God directs my steps. So that is the application. That my application for you in this section is to live in light of God's provision for you. And that as you live in light of God's provision for you, build up your faith now. Right now, whatever your situation is, this is your training ground. This is your gym to build your faith muscles. It's right now. Right now, even if you're financially stable, or right now, maybe no trials are hitting your life. Maybe you don't have a whole lot wrong going on in your life. Maybe when, you ask, when people ask you for prayer, there's nothing dramatic happening. And that's okay. And t- so take this time to build up your faith muscles now. While not, no storms are hitting you, take your time, right? The, you, you fix your house when it's not storming, before the storm, not while it's storming. It's harder. Okay, so what I'm asking you to do is, if everything is stable now, build up your faith muscles now. Start to shift your perspective now, to shift your perspective that God is providing for me, to recognize God will provide. And even though I'm not, you know, begging for food, God is going to provide. God, I need to have faith that God is going to provide. And right now, God is providing in these mundane ways. I am thankful for that, that God is providing. So you start to view even your daily bread, literally your next meal. This is what I'm asking you to do. Your next meal, which may be even going out after fellowship, see that, just recognize it, shift your mentality. This is God providing for me. This is God providing for me. Even if it's with money that you've saved up, even if it's with money from your paycheck, who gave you your job? God did. Who gave you your education? God did. Who put you in that position to get that job or to have that education? God did. Who gave you that roof over your head? God did. So it's that shift to begin to see the regular 
mundane, assumed things as gifts from God. And as we do that, we build up our, our faith strength because the trials may be just around the corner. It's like the Olympics. An athlete doesn't show up to the Olympics having never trained for the last four years. And they show up to the Olympics thinking, today, I'm going to start working out. Today, I'm going to start getting a little bit better at my sport. No, they show up to the Olympics having done all the work. They've done all the training. They've done all the diets. So that now, on this special day, they are ready and they are prepared to be tested. Today is your training day. You don't know when your faith Olympics may come, but it is. And this is what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He was training his disciples day in and day out, talking to them, exhorting them, telling them to have faith, showing them what faith looks like, pointing that out in the centurion. Jesus spent day after day showing his disciples, this is what my power looks like. And now Jesus is sending them on this mission with nothing for their faith to be tested. They've heard about faith. They've talked about faith. But now they're going to have to live it. They didn't get to pack anything. They didn't get to bring money. They didn't get to bring a backpack. They couldn't even bring a tunic, which was basically like a blanket. Their faith was going to be tested. They go out with nothing and must depend on God's provision for their daily food and shelter. And what happens? God provides. He provides people to take them in, to feed them, to give them lodging. We'll see that that actually happens later in Mark, but it all happens. He provides people to take them in, to feed them, to give them a place to live. But even this place to live, this lodging, Jesus gives some instruction about that. About this lodging, in verse 10, Jesus says this, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. So what does this mean? This is very, it seems like a very basic sentence, but let me explain this to you. Jesus tells them, when you find someone who is willing to take you in, stay there. Now that seems like a duh statement, but what he's saying is don't shop around. Don't move around. Because it was common in those days for travelers to move around if better accommodations came about. So Jesus is telling them to rely on the hospitality of others, but not to dishonor those hosts by moving to a quote-unquote better location. So if someone's going to be hospitable to you, don't spit on it. By moving when something better comes along. Oh, actually a nicer house came up. Oh, someone with better food opened up. Let me go there. Thanks for everything, but I'm going to go over there. In 2007, I know for some of you this is way back, but in 2007, I went to a college young adult conference. It was called Resolved. And that conference at the time was in a place called Long Beach, which is in SoCal. And I was in college in, in SoCal, and some of my friends from that local church down, down in L.A. area, uh, they were going to this conference. And so they asked me if I wanted to stay with them for free. 
And I was a college student, so I was like, yeah, I want to stay somewhere for free. Um, and they even offered to let one of my friends come with me that we could stay for free, that he was coming down for the conference, and so we could stay with them for free. And so the conference comes, and we learn that this free lodging was actually in a houseboat in Long Beach, because there's a pier. And so we get to the houseboat, and it's decent houseboat by all houseboats' accounts. So like, I haven't been on too many, but it seemed like it was okay. But we were sleeping on the floor. But again, this is free, right? So uh, there wasn't too much to complain about. I was a college student, young, so sleeping on the floor is not a big deal. But the other thing that was that this marina was a little bit farther from the conference center, which means that it was a little too far from everything that was happening. It wasn't like... It was within walking distance, but it was a little too far for a college student when everything is happening at the conference center. It's a little far from our friends who were actually staying in the hotel next to the conference center because we were missing out on some of the fun. So the next morning, my friend and I, we decide that we don't like our houseboat accommodations, and we decide to ask some of our friends in the hotel if we can stay with them and sleep on their floor. Well, they agreed. And so we moved out our stuff from that houseboat into the hotel room. But here's the thing. Now, I'm ashamed of this whole story, but particularly this part. I never told our houseboat get, like hosts. I never told them we were moving out, that we were going to move to the hotel. We just took our stuff and just left and then never came back. Like, I don't even remember who it was. Like, that's pretty bad. And that was something where I'm just embarrassed even thinking about it because they were kind enough to take us in for free. And I disrespected and dishonored them and their hospitality as an ungrateful college punk. Because I moved to a better accommodation when it came along. And Jesus is saying, don't be like Theo. Don't spit on the house hospitality by looking for better housing. Jesus wanted them to focus on his provision for them. And so he wanted them to see this, see the people who are going to open their homes as my provision for you. Yes, something better may come along, but don't move. Stay there. Respect and honor that hospitality that someone, when someone opens their home right away, do this trip in faith. And so Jesus is teaching them how to fish. They're getting this hands-on learning. They, they have so much to learn because, and these are the reasons why Jesus is, is cranking up the lessons, giving them this residency. In roughly one year, Jesus is going to ascend to heaven, which means in roughly one year, Jesus is going to entrust the future and the establishment of the church to these 12. 11, but spoiler alert. In one year, Jesus is going to hand the keys to the church to these disciples. And this was their first trip, their first test flight out of the nest. This is their residency. Jesus wants to teach them, you need to walk by faith. You need to learn to be dependent on my provisions. 
And this trip is going to be a microcosm of the life ahead of you. You will need to continue to walk in faith and depend on my provision long after I ascend to heaven. And this is the first mission. Jesus teaches his disciples that this lesson, by not letting them make plans, by not letting them take anything with them, and to simply just watch me provide for you. So Jesus sends his disciples first with his power, secondly with his provision, and let's, let's look at thirdly his blessing. They are sent with his blessing in verse 11. Let's read that. Verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake your, the dust off that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So Jesus sends the disciples with his provision and his blessing, and conversely, with curse, curses for anyone who would reject them. So this is pretty straightforward. The disciples are going to go into these towns, and they're going to call people to repent. And if people refuse, and people reject them, or people don't welcome them, then they are rejecting the one who sent them. And their rejection becomes a curse. This shaking off of the dust that Jesus says, this was a common symbol that signified disassociation. It was a symbol that meant that you were disassociating yourself from, from these group of people. And that also came with judgment for these people. Judgment now awaits these people. It's kind of like, this place is so cursed that I don't even want the dirt to be found on the bottom of my sandals. So, Jesus sends these disciples. They only had the, dis the, the responsibility to go and to bring Jesus' message. It was not their job to change hearts. So if they were faithful to go, declare Jesus' message, they did that accurately, and, if, and yet if they were treated as unwelcome or they were rejected or ignored, their conscience was clear. They were faithful to their jobs as ambassadors. They were faithful to warn. The same goes for a nation's ambassador. If they bring the message, they can't make the nation obey. Their job is simply to tell them what, this, what our nation is saying. If you're going to not listen, that's on you. They're only called to faithfully and accurately convey the message that's entrusted to them. And then their conscience is clear. So that's the message. There's the, the message comes, uh, the, 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 that's the uh, blessing and the cursing that comes with that. So what was the message they were to bring? Well, that brings us to our fourth aspect of Jesus' authority, and that is they're sent with his message in verse 12. In verse 12, Mark writes, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Okay, so this is the message, that people should repent. We've already kind of alluded to this because of the shaking off of dust. That's the response to that rejection of the message. But this is the message. Jesus sends them with the, me with the message that you need to repent. Here, when it says that the disciples call the people to, rep to repent, it's an abbreviation for the call for people to repent and turn back to God. So I know it just says repent, but it's abbreviation for the call to repent and turn back to God. So what does the word repent mean? 
Well, repent is simply a 180 degree turn. So when I illustrate this in children's I walk this way, and then I jump, and then I go this way. So it's a 100 degree turn from where you were going. That's what repent means. You are walking this way towards your sin, and you turn around away from that. You turn your back on your sin, and you turn towards God. That is what it means to repent. In Mark 1.15, Jesus calls people to the kingdom of God by repenting, and not only that, but believing the gospel. So the disciples, they've been hearing this message. They know what it means. When Jesus says, call the people to repent, they know what that means. I'm calling people to repent, to turn away from their sins, to turn towards God, and to believe the gospel. And this is the message. This is the message that they have been given. Because when they say repent, what they're saying is, this Jesus who has given us this message to repent, this is the one who has, has given us the power over demons. This is the one who has the power over sickness. This is the one that is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. That is their message. This Jesus, the one who gave us this power, this is the Messiah you have been waiting for, and he's calling us to repent, to turn back to God. These, were, these disciples may have not understood completely because they were still a year out from seeing the big picture. They didn't understand the gospel completely. But what they were doing was they were calling people to have faith in what God was about to do through this Messiah. They were saying, look to Jesus and look at what Jesus is about to do. And in one year, it would be made clear. Now for us, looking back, having the New Testament, looking back at history, we preach for people to have faith in what God has done in Jesus, what he's already done in Jesus. So this is the gospel that I'm calling each of you to have faith in. This is the gospel that I am preaching to each one of you, that we are all sinners. And what that means is that sins are things, do, things that we think, do, or say that are against God's character. And because we are sinners, we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sinful life the sins that are against God's character, we need to turn away from those things, to turn our back on those things and turn towards God and start to walk towards God. We need to repent and believe the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel means good news. What's the good news? The good news is that while we are sinners, while we do things that are against God's character, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he paid that punishment for us. Because our, sin, our sins need to be paid for. The Bible says that we either pay for our sins ourselves in a place called hell, or you accept the free gift that Jesus paid for it. If you reject that free gift, then our passage has a serious warning for you. If you say, you don't need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need the church. You don't need to believe that. Then what, I, what is clear is that you're still in the same boat as the townspeople that would reject these disciples. 
This is not to say that we would shake our dust off at, at you, but this is to say that if I plead with you, if I tell you what the gospel is, if I convey the message of Jesus, that I want you to, to believe the gospel, I want you to repent of your sins, and you say to me, no thanks, then I've done all I can. And my conscience is clear. I've warned. I've pleaded. I've prayed for you. And I will keep doing that. But I've gone as far as I can go. Because I can't save you. I can't make you believe this. So to make the principle taught here very clear, as Christians, we are ambassadors of Christ. We simply go and preach the good news of Jesus. It's not our job to change a person's heart. We can't do that. It's not our job to convince someone to repent. We don't have that power. It's not our, even our job to make the world more welcome to Christians. That's not what it's all about. Our job as Christians is to be faithful to preach the gospel and to be faithful in living in light of the gospel because this is the changing of hearts. And when it comes to the changing of hearts, that's all up to God. If they reject us, it's because they reject Jesus. Again, this is not descriptive, is descriptive, not prescriptive. So if you share the gospel with someone, I'm not telling you to shake off your sneakers and pronounce curses on them. That's not the approach in the New Testament. What I'm saying is that you may have to preach again and again and again. But the principle is true that it's not on you to save them. It's on you to be faithful, to tell them the gospel, maybe again and again and again. But it's on, on you to faithfully teach them this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to repent. Here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is faith, it's on you to be faithful to that. And then on faith, it's on you to live a godly life that demonstrates God's power to change your life. It's on you to live a godly life that depends on his provision. But if we preach the gospel and someone rejects it, our conscience is clear. We warned. They rejected. It's not our responsibility for their belief. And this is what it means to be a fisher of men. Here in Mark 6, Jesus has unleashed the disciples for some hands-on learning on how to be fishers of men. They are sent with his power. They are sent with his provision. They are sent with his blessing. And they are sent with his message. The disciples were trailblazers of the mission of the church. And we, thousands of years later, we get to join that mission in the preaching the gospel to the lost. And this is what Matthew 28, the Great Commission, calls us to do. So as you go this week, as you share the gospel this week, as you build up your faith muscles, as you consider how to live a godly life in light of the gospel, 
let me call you to go with his power, to go with his provision, to see that, to identify the mundane ways that God is providing for you. This is God's provision. To go with his blessing, to know that God is behind you and that your message is his message. And to go with his saving message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word uh, that we get to dive into, that we get to draw principles from, uh, that you are teaching us as we learn what the disciples were learning. Uh, may you work in us. Uh, each one of us is in a different place in life, uh, different stage or different circumstances. Some may be going through storms and trials, pray that you would strengthen them now, that they would weather the storm and even persevere and come out stronger in their faith. Some have trials just around the corner. I pray that you would help us to be building up faith strength now. I pray that you would um, work in each one of us. There may be even some here that don't know you yet, Father. I just pray that you would change their hearts, that as they hear the gospel, as they heard it tonight, as they hear it from friends, they would believe that they would see the change uh, in our life, to see that we are different than the world, and they would want it, uh, because that is your power in working, working in our lives. Father, I pray for transformation and, and maturity for each one of us. Uh, may you uh, use this passage to grow us, to be on our mind this week uh, so that we can apply it to every aspect of our lives. I lift this up, to, this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.